Yes, we're back. You need to rephrase a question. We do have a second episode. After a mammoth first episode, I, Michael Dunn, and he, Simon Ravenscroft, have returned with a third host, someone who is sure to keep our inane ramblings in check. Or not. It's lifelong Man United fan, Mr. Lewis Hughes. On today's show, we've got the return of Who the Devil Are You, new features of the Transfer League and Divisions, and we'll be looking ahead to the coming fixtures. But first, we need to discuss the state of play at the minute. At the end of the last podcast, we previewed the games ahead, which were Istanbul, Everton, West Brom, Istanbul again, Southampton and PSG. And since then, we've also seen United go to West Ham and Leipzig. In that time, United have lost three in the Champions League and then just dropped out into the Europa League, but won every fixture in the Premier League. Overall, winning six and losing three. As things stand, United are five points off the top spot in the Premier League and two points outside the top four with a game in hand. So how do we feel things are going, boys? Lewis? <laughs> we should start off by saying thanks for having me, guys. Um, judging by... So when you last spoke, it was Istanbul. It was a 90 Istanbul game. Um, didn't go to plan, really, did it? Um, two, hit 2-1 two, defeat away. Um We just played poorly, to be honest. I think we under underestimated the competition. Uh, we put out the weakened side. Um, I think Matic, Mata, um, two and Zay, we played Henderson in goal. I don't think it. I don't think it paid off, to be honest. I think we were looking towards Everton at the weekend. Um, we severely underestimated them, and did it us really, didn't they? Yeah, um, I'm the same. It, rather than just talk about the performances in in the games that you just mentioned, I want to focus more on the fine margins of Oli and the decisions that Oli and his uh, coaching team have made. First, you got that Demba Bar goal in the Istanbul game. So I I had to rewatch it again yesterday, um, and I got all the frustrations came back to me that we got when we first watched that game. Matic was the furthest player back when we had our corner. So we had a corner, didn't we? And our furthest defender back was Matic, but was still in the opponent's half. And Demba Bar's actually on the edge of his own box. He's creeping forward to the, to the halfway line towards, and actually finds himself in, in our half. Matic is the furthest back, but still nowhere near him. And probably the slowest person on the pitch. What happens to when we go up for a corner, you leave your two smallest but quickest players back? That's So for me, I, and also because then I was level with our bench, wasn't it? So, and there's no fans. So the bench, any message that the bench wants to get onto the players, that it can be made because there's no fans. There's no problem with sound. How the players didn't pick up on it, but how the bench allowed that to happen was shocking for me and then so that for me is that was the start of going through this first game that was the start of the um few like poor mistakes that I think we've made as a coaching team so there's a lot that the players could do but I think in coaching team the Everton game we made our first sub in the 67th minute and the last two subs in that game was the 82nd minute Ollie complained after that game about fatigue. He complained about fatigue because of the we played two, three days before in the Champions League. But then in the PSG game, we could make in the Champions League, we had we could make five subs in the Champions League. We didn't make any sort of 74th minute. Having previously mentioned about fatigue, he makes his substitution way too late. Also, then the Southampton game again. This is just fine margins. You could blame the players, but in the champion in the Premier League, we lose a goal to Southampton. It was a near post header, wasn't it? Who was marking Bednarak? It was Rashford. Who is our best aerial defensive player? It's Maguire. He was man marking nobody. He was zonal marking in the middle of the pitch. Then we went to West Ham. We conceded from a corner. And near post header, who was marking Declan Rice? 
Martial. Where was um, Maguire? He was so no marking again, nobody. So you can say the players need to pick up on these dangerous um, aerial players, but the coaching team clearly are asking these our defence to zone or marking these areas, and we're not learning from our previous mistake. We make subs too late. We're not reacting to immediate danger, and we're allowing the same things to happen from game to game. Yeah, I agree. I think looking at it, it's, it's purely sort of tactical decisions that are letting us down. And obviously, we have come back, I think it's, is it four out of the last five games in the Premier League that we've come back from a goal behind? Uh, and obviously, we're saying we've won all six Premier League games since we last spoke. But it is an issue with the coach and I feel because we are dependent too much on individual qualities. And Bruno, obviously, is the man who stands out. And I think the point that you were making there about defensively as well is our captain of our club is Maguire. And like you say, he's supposedly our best defender and it should be in those situations, the size of him and the size of his head, it should be the guy who's man-marking anyone. And uh, unfortunately, he's not. So if he's a captain of the club and he's been asked to zone mark, and surely he's, he's played for enough clubs now, obviously, and uh, been in enough situations for United to pay £80 million for him to bring him in. Why is he not raising his voice and letting people know that this isn't working? Because it seems to be happening time and time again, and it's getting us into trouble. But you could, sorry, sorry, Lewis, just what you, you, you could see that West Ham had seen that Southampton got in at the near post for a near post header. So they've adjusted how they were going to attack their corners. Let's get Declan Rice on the near post. He makes a flick on, and then there's nobody at the back post for a tap in. So West Ham, you could say, have reacted to our faults, but we haven't. I was going to say the same thing. Like Opponents have clearly seen a weakness in our set pieces, mainly at the near post where we haven't got the best defenders. We usually put a forward at the front post. And I think they're just seeing that, hit it to the front post and then just knocking it on for, for someone else to finish. And I think it's just it's poor coaching. The first thing when the new manager comes in is to sort out your set pieces, sort out your your positioning, sort out your, your formation, and then the rest of it comes after that. It's it's kind of if done backwards. What's been lacking from Solskjaer then? It's just complete sort of misunderstanding, no understanding really, tactical awareness, and um, like setting up thing uh, situations like set pieces. Yeah, I think I think it, you can't just blame Solskjaer though. Like he is the manager. Clearly, but he's got Mike Phelan there. He should know better. Um, he's got Michael Carrick, you know, new coach, but again, experienced player who should be knowing those kind of things. Um, I think it just comes down to the coaching staff in general, really. It does. That, that, rather than just point the fingers at the players the whole time, because the players could do a lot too. The players could pick up on these things too and, and do things, but if they're clearly, they're being coached that in a particular way, if they're being told to do things a certain way, then there comes a point where they've just got to listen to the coaching, haven't they? So it, it's fine margins, because at the same time, that Declan Rice header goes over the bar and they don't score and uh, Bednarak doesn't, you know, you know, it doesn't, they don't, those goals don't go in and we're not talking about it now. It's fine margins, but still, those it doesn't seem that like we're learning from our own mistakes. Yeah, it's and that that's a big problem, isn't it? Because we're saying like the development of the coach and um, obviously, I mean, Solskjaer has been coaching now for a long time. Really, he's obviously coached Mulder, won, won a league with them, coached uh, Cardiff, um, gone back to Mulder, come back to come to United. He's been here for two years now, but like you say, he's got experience. Um, backroom staff in Mike Phelan, who was um, Sir Alex Ferguson's number two for at least five years. Um, there should be people who are speaking up and identifying the problems here that we can see. Obviously, we, we haven't got a voice in the dressing room or anything like that. And I'm not saying that we could do a better job than Solskjaer, but surely the people in the boardroom, and Sir Alex is in the boardroom, Bobby Charlton's in the boardroom, um, they're obviously they're throwing the hat in with Solskjaer. Um, and it seems like nobody's willing in a, in a mainstream way to criticise Solskjaer. They, like even uh, pundits who played for other clubs seem to be giving them their backing and giving them a lot of time and patience. But everyone else you're hearing understands that looking at Solskjaer, he's an inexperienced coach 
doesn't seem to want to pull the trigger with decent decisions. Um, I think the uh, Leipzig game the other night um, was atrocious, really. If you have a look at the way that we set up and we knew that there was a good chance that we could be leaving that competition and our strongest part of the team so far this year has been going forward, especially towards the end of the games because we've got the most creative players uh, going forward in the midfield and we've not been able to say that for the last few years. And we've got some decent forwards as well. I know Rashford and Cavani weren't there. But um, United, going forward, do look dangerous. And at the back, it looks very dangerous for us. So to set up with five at the back, maybe he was trying to be protecting this. But it, to come up against an attacking team like Leipzig, it just seemed that we invited the pressure on us. And he just didn't see have the foresight, really, to, to get his team to run with the ball and attack and try and pick off. And that's what we did towards the end of the game. And obviously, we nearly pulled it off. But what aggravates me at the moment is that Solskjaer is quite comfortable in this position. Obviously, we've all uh, spoken about the fact that um, we don't think he's the right man for our club. In any circumstance, we want to see United doing well, but we don't think he's the right man for the club. But it seems like the players are sort of dragging him out of the dirt at the end of the game. Now, I don't want to see United lose. I don't want to see United dropping points. And I'm glad that we are winning. I do think he is papering over too many character cracks to say that he's made a few tactical changes at half-time or thrown a few players on um, from the subs bench. And they're the ones who were inspiring the wins at the end of the games. Um, and like on a positive note, we have, we have won six in the league and we had a poor start to the league. Um, we are only two points outside the top four and we win our game in hand and we're only two points off the top as well. We, we do look like title challenges, but it just seems like it's made on Sunday. It looks like it's going to fall apart any time, and especially with Bruno Fernandes, and we've spoken about it to each other privately. We, uh, towards the end of last season, obviously Bruno came in and he changed the squad. We looked like we were on a charge uh, to comfortably get in the top four, but in the last few games, he just looked flogged. And what happens if the Bruno burnout happens again or if Bruno gets injured? We lose that creative spark in the middle of the field and where do we stand then? Yeah, we, we definitely can't afford to lose Bruno, can we? So, and, and the thing when we bought Bruno, and everyone's hopes that Pogba would five years later still be this player that we were expecting when we bought him in the first place. But you're thinking, right, now you've got Pogba and you've got um, Bruno. It doesn't really matter whether they play together or, or they play, at least just one of them play. We're always going to have a Pogba or a Bruno on the pitch. But I'd, I, the fact that we, if we lose Bruno, we will. We thought there wouldn't be a drop off, but because we've got Pogba, and if we lose Pogba, there's not a drop off because we've got Bruno. There's a massive drop off though, isn't there? If you've got Bruno and then he comes off a of Pogba, it just doesn't seem to be the same anymore. We saw that in the first half of the West Ham game, didn't we? Where he rightly rested Bruno, um, gave him a bit of a rest. But after 45 minutes, we were terrible. Um, brought him on at half-time, changed the game completely. And it just shows, like, in the space of a game, that's what United are now doing. Play your best players. If they're not performing, where are we? Yeah. I agree. He definitely should have been rested, uh, Bruno, that day as well. Um, so you, you have to feel sorry for Ollie sometimes because you do think he's made the right decision there to to rest to rest his best players because look at the the fixed congestion that he's complained about and the fixed congestion that we've got coming up. But yeah, a different team about him, aren't we? So uh, he's screwed if he does. He's screwed if he doesn't. Yeah. So all in all. It, it, it seems all negative, like I say, but if we, if we have a look at the league, do we think that dropping out of the Champions League also almost gives us um, an opportunity now, actually? Uh, the season, the way it is at the moment, obviously we've started late and it's truncated because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic and uh, the, the league and all the competitions are all going to come to a head at the same time next year because there's summer competitions and everything involved with that. Um, I'd be looking ahead and thinking maybe this is an opportunity. So if we do win our game in hand, uh, there's a potential that we could come close to the top of the league and we beat the right right teams. We, we could set up a title challenge. Surely now is a good time to say, right, OK, we're in the Europa League. The fans aren't 
uh, best pleased with, uh, with being in the Europa League. But obviously, with trophies and trophies, surely now is the time to put a stamp on the league and uh, make sure that we're resting players, putting our best players out and put our, putting our best front uh, foot forward in the league from now until the end of the season, making sure that we do get into the Champions League again next time and potentially even have a really good title challenge. Yeah, I don't want to lose games like you just said, but I, I don't know whether I do see it as an opportunity. Unless we go and win the Europa League, then it's then it's an opportunity. But what playing on a Thursday and a Sunday isn't for me isn't an opportunity. I would part of me was thinking when we went out again uh, in out of Champions League was kind of wish we'd just finished fourth then because I don't what I don't want to do is we want to get in the Champions League next season. Well, Europa League definitely could prevent that by playing in the Europa League. So I don't know whether I look Inter Milan finished fourth in the in the group last night. So Inter Milan like haven't qualified, but they also finished fourth. So in a way, Inter are not in the Europa League, and Real Madrid were looking like they might have fallen into the Europa League at at one stage, but they have now qualified. So two big teams there that I thought might have been in the Europa League and not in it. So we've got maybe a good chance of winning the Europa League, but. I don't want to get carried away and think let's throw all our eggs in the basket and win the Europa League because that gives you... Because remember, we've been there before. I don't... For me now, I'm thinking, really, should we have just gone out? It wouldn't have been nice if we just had no European football for the rest of the season, just focused on maybe a little cup run, but just focusing on the Premier League because, let's be honest, we are five points off the top with a game in hand. We're not going to win the Premier League, no chance. But... Top four is definitely there for us. But is it if we're playing on a Thursday and a Sunday? Do you just play your B team in the Europa League? Who I knows? Don't, I don't know. I don't think you can afford to do that, though, because a few bad results in the Europa League is going to put them in a hot seat even more. And I know the fans, the fans don't want to take it seriously, but then again, if you get into the quarters or semis, then you're going to play your full team, aren't you? No matter, no matter how serious you take it. Yeah. I remember a few years ago when Alex Ferguson um, dropped into Europa League, I think it was... Did we play against uh, Ajax? Or... Yeah. Um, and we drew Liverpool in the quarterfinals. Um, and he had to put out a decent team then because he had no choice. It was against Liverpool. It's in it's in Europe. Um, he had to play a decent team, and I think that's what it's going to come to really. And um, maybe the, the thirty-two is going to play a weakened team, but the further we get, the more pressure on him to play a, a decent team there is. But isn't it the case that there's more pressure on um, United to go and win a, like in ga- games in the competitions that we don't necessarily want to sort of like be in because the fans have paid the money to get in the stadium and we need to pay before. Uh, do a performance, but at the moment, around Europe and around the world, obviously fans aren't in the stadiums. It's started since come back now, but in tier three, Man United aren't um, getting any fans in the stadium. So surely that pressure is a little bit less now to perform in front of the fans because they paid the tickets, they've gone into the, um, the stadium. And I'm sure like the majority of the United fans would turn around and say, if it gave us a good chance of a good run in the league and we were safely inside the top four, potentially even a uh, title challenge, and you could pop the Europa League now because we're not too fussed about it. Surely that would be an option for most Man United. Yeah, hopefully we're just we're in the Europa League now, and we go as far as possible potentially win it, and it doesn't affect the uh, our Premier League chances. But that's that's hopefully in it. We just have to see now. We've we'd never won the Europa League before. We won it, did we? Under Mourinho, so I in the back of my mind it was always I just want to win that Europa League because we've never won it before and it's still a trophy that we've never won. Well, we've done that now. We need a trophy. All he needs a trophy, doesn't it? But we'll see. We're there, so we just deal with it, don't we? But I don't know. For I think I'm, I I just would like to have rather just stayed in Champions League, obviously, or maybe just not been in Europe at all. Okay, so I'm going to throw something out there as a little bit of a curveball. How about if we? Continue as we are in the direction at the moment. Maybe this is what the boardroom are thinking. We keep Ole Gunnar Solskjaer till next season and we finish seventh. We go into Europa League Conference or Europa League 2 and we're the first teams to win that competition next year. How does that make everyone feel? 
Easier said than done, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm. I no. I'm, I'm not for me. I'm. I'm not for all the being the first to win things anymore. Um, traditionally, we want the Premier League, don't we? We want the Champions League. That's that's where we should be. Um, oh, we could be the bottom wanderers of the Europa League too. We could also draw Istanbul uh, back in Beckenshire. <laughs> 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 In the group stage and go out. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, fair yeah. All right. So shall we? Shall we put that one to bed then? And uh, let's move on to a new feature or a souped up feature. Who the devil are you? Is back this week. Uh, this is a game where we try to guess who I'm describing. Now we've put a little uh, new twist on it this week. Uh, I am going to be hypnotised and regressed into my past life. And I will, when I wake up, I will become the mind of a former or current United player or coach, somebody related to Manchester United. So when I wake up from my, uh, my, my hypnotised sleep, I'll be somebody who is related to Manchester United. Now, when I wake up, I will describe the person who I am. And I can only come out of my hypnosis if either of you two gets it right, so it could be here a long time. Let's play this thing. The Man United are in bigger trouble than I even think, and I think they're in huge trouble, trouble, trouble. When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sergeants will be thrown into the sea. And, you know, it's a sort of standard and level we need to try and aspire ourselves to, to get at this moment in time. 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 Now the fans are shouting every week, Louis van Gaal's army! Louis van Gaal's army! I can't believe it. Football, by the hell. I love this game! <laughs> Who the devil are you? I've just been born. There's trick treaters outside the door. It must be Halloween. The city I'm in has just been rebuilt, having been burnt down a few decades earlier, and it's the second largest city in the country. I'm 25, and I've just arrived at the cliff, training round. Looking around, I can see Brian Robson, Mark Hughes, and Alex Ferguson. He looks like a man on a mission. Eric Harrison's over there, on the other side, shouting at a group of young lads. They look a decent bunch. Wonder if they'll make it. I'll have to add some extra skills to my game if I'm going to stand out with a team like them. It's 1999. We just won the European Cup, and I can see David May towering above the trophy. Anyone would think he was a prize. Let's be honest, nobody has seen him before or since. To be honest, from this distance, I could probably give him a shove. Oh, forget it. It's 2004 now, and having left United two years ago, it's time for me to retire. I've ended my career as a joint most successful player that my country's ever seen. I still am, in fact. Sir Alex says that I'm pound for pound his greatest ever signing. Trouble there. At the beginning, I'm thinking Brian Kidd. Well, he, he turned up at the age of 25 and saw Mark Hughes and Ma uh, uh, Brian Robson. So that'd, that'd be around 92, 93. Yeah. Won the treble. Fergus pound for pound, best ever signing. Left in 2002. Retired in, did you say retired in 2004? Is it Bex? No, he went on longer than 2004, didn't he? Is it? Oh. I was going to say Yapstam, but I, I think, I don't think he played with Mark Hughes, did he? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
I am struggling here. He is the most successful player of his country. Should have been writing these down. <laughs> so I'm guessing maybe he's from a smaller country where there's not as many players. Oh, there we go. Got a bit of a chatter out of a hypnotised mic. <laughs> it's not Paborski. You know, you know what? Is it Ollie? No, he played on television now. Way later. Retired in 2004. So he was about 30, mid 30s when he retired. Uh, Pete Schmeichel? I think I've got it. Go on. Is, is it Dwight York? No. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dwight York would have been a good shout coming from. I was gonna say there's, there's no more famous Trinidadian players, is there? Uh, penalties, penalties, penalties. Oh, penalties. Dennis Irwin. <sighs> <sighs> Oh. Have we got it? Is it Dennis Irwin? <laughs> oh, great shout. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, you'd have been in a transfer about six months because <laughs> I was drawing a blank. As you refresh now, guys. Thanks for that. Dennis Irwin. Yeah, of course it was Dennis Irwin. Uh, looking at the clues, um, we had... Um, the clues were he was born in 1965 and uh, the drug treat is out the door so he was born on the 31st of October 1965 um, he was born in a city which had been burnt down only a few decades earlier in the second largest city in the country which is Cork in Ireland uh, he joined Man United at the age of 25 and uh, all those players were knocking around at the time um, obviously, if you have a look at the photograph of uh, the trophy lift in 1999, yeah. it's just below David May. Oh, so yeah. I, I, I bet he wishes he could give him a little bit of a shove. And he <laughs> retired in 2004 after leaving United in 2002, going to play on uh, play on for Wolves. But uh, apparently described by Sir Alex Ferguson as his pound for pound greatest, greatest ever signing. He bought him for about 2p, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know he went and played for Wolves, if I'm honest. You just think of him as a Man United player, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Can anyone tell me any of the other teams that he's played for? Not foggy. Cork. <laughs> <laughs> Cork City. <laughs> think Nemesis. Leeds. Leeds. Dirty, dirty Leeds. Yeah. yeah, played for Leeds for yeah. 70 odd games and then went on to Oldham. And then played for Manchester United afterwards, scoring 22 goals for United, actually. For a defender, that's quite good. And 23 of them were penalties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he scored one more than... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That... <laughs> he just scored penalties for fun. Yeah, yeah. Just an extra on top. All right, so after all that, um, we'll move on to our next feature, the Transfer League. So this is a feature where I've asked both Simon and Lewis to come up with... United's best and worst signings of the last 20 years. So from the year 2001 to 2020 and over the weeks and months that we do this, we're going to come up with a bit of a league of who United's best signings are and who the worst signings are. And then eventually we'll come up with the standings. So if you'd like to take it away, Simon, on a negative note, can you tell us who one of the worst players is of the last 20 years? Well, I had two to begin with. I'm going to just only leave us with one because I'll save the other one for next time. Mentioned him previously on the last podcast. Going to start Alexis Sanchez. For me, <laughs> be, be, well, bear, bear with me. 
valued £30 million. I know it was a swap with Mkhitaryan, but it was valued that, that £30 million, wasn't it? Rumoured to be on between three hundred and fifty grand and five hundred and sixty grand a week. That's above eighteen million pound a year. He played forty-five games for us, scoring only five goals and made nine assists. He claimed he wanted to tear up his contract at United after his first training session. He had contacted his agent and said, can this contract be torn up? I want to go back to Arsenal. Before he came to us, he'd scored 60 goals for Arsenal in, in like four seasons. He'd by far their best player. You both know how excited I was when we got Sanchez. Yeah, the, uh, the piano got you, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I was buzzing. Yeah, yeah. I was Honestly, I was buzzing and... I remember his first game, he played against Yeovil for us and it just literally never took off. His career never took off. He scored three goals for United, 60 goals for Arsenal. Can we do um, a quick, um, quick sum of uh, how much we paid him each goal? Or? Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I wasn't that, that organised. But, <laughs> but uh, no, no, for me, I think, I think mentality-wise... If that was what he, if that is what he said after his just his first training session, then you don't want someone like that at your club to begin with anyway, do you? Um, for the money that we paid in terms of a transfer fee, swap deal, whatever you want to call it, the money that we were paying him a week, um, for what he contributed, arguably has to be our worst ever signing. Well, we'll see over the weeks, won't we? When we uh, pop up with new worst ever signings, and we'll see. We'll pop them in the league. But I, I do agree. And I think it's a disappointment, really, because obviously he did play so well for Barcelona and Arsenal. I think he was unlucky at Barcelona, obviously. He sort of got dropped out of that front three of Suarez, Neymar and Messi and obviously had to leave. Um, and, he, and he was a great player. And I think even the years before, he felt like a United-type player. And it would have been nice if he did come to United and play the sort of number seven-type role. But it seems to have been like, and obviously we'll come on to it again in the future, but the number seven sort of like South American um, great attacking players and um, what what is it with them with uh, when they leave Man United they seem to want to <laughs> drag, drag our name through the mud for some reason but yeah uh, so Lewis can you tell us who was one of our best signings in the last 20 years um, I'm going to go a bit left field there um, say left because he played on the left uh, I'm going to go for Mr I love this game! Hey. Patrice Evra. Um, he, he's always been one of my favourite players. I played left-back myself when I, was in, when I was in school and I always admired the left-backs. Um, the previous favourite before that was Gabriel Hines, um, who he ended up replacing uh, when he fell out of the club. Um, signed him from Monaco, 5.5 million. And it's just been one of the best investments we had for the past, what, 10 years? 10 years he was at the club. Um, didn't start off too well. Played against City. Got dragged off at half-time with um, Vidic was also making his debut. But took him, took him a few games to get used to the English style of play. But after that, he just became a leader of the team. Um, part of the 2008 Champions League final winning team. And he was just brilliant, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a great sort of modern style fullback as well who could get forward. And he just seemed to, like, the ball seemed to be magnetically attached to his feet. I remember quite a lot of the time when we were watching him, he looked like he was about to fall over. But for some reason, his, like, low centre of gravity kept him stood up, getting past players, bombing forward. And obviously, he was great as well, covering backwards. And like you say, um, he did take over with Gabriel Heinzer. And uh, at the time, Heinzer was one of my favourite players and I just couldn't understand it. And again, another South American who left Man United and uh, sort of bad mouthers <laughs> and uh, really sort of got to the core of United's hearts and uh, tore it out. I just wanted to pick up on you said you played left back because um, I'm pretty sure you was left back in the changing rooms when you played football. Right, the competition's heating up already, so I think it's now time to go to our quiz feature. Division. So I've asked uh, Simon and Lewis to pick out 
their specialist subject, specialist player, coach, could be anyone related to Manchester United. And uh, for each of them, they've decided that they would pick for Simon. He's picked his specialist player as Ronaldo and Lewis has picked his specialist player, Park Ji Sung. So for this feature, in preparation, both of the boys have gone away and picked five questions for one another to play out uh, during the podcast. Uh, as quiz master, I will be delivering those questions and whoever wins will stay on next week and move up a division. Right, so I'll give you a choice of heads and tails. So who wants to be heads? Uh, I'll go tails. Tails and Simon's heads. It's tails. So Lewis, you can go first. Yes. Okay, so Park Ji Sung questions. <laughs> so, how many Premier League appearances the Park Ji Sung have? Was it A, 154, or B, 184? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm going to go with 184. Wrong. Oh. 154 it was. It was 134 for Man United and 20 for QPR. Ah, I forgot about QPR days. Uh, what was the most goals that Park Ji-sung uh, Sung scored in a Premier League season? Was it five or eight? I'm going to say five. Correct. That's one to Lewis. Prolific. What was his most effective way of scoring? Was it by free kick, headers, or penalties? I can't remember ever taking a penalty. So that gives me headers or free kicks. I'm going to go with probably the least likely answer and go for headers, even though he's only about five foot eight. <laughs> That's too correct for Lewis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> How many times was he caught offside in the Premier League? Is it 10, 50 or 90? Where did you get those kind of stats? <laughs> <laughs> what were the options again? So, How many times was uh, Pat G. Sung caught offside in the Premier League? Is it 10 times, 50 times or 90 times? I'm going to go for 10. I don't think it'd, it'd be uh, on the edge of the defender's shoulder. Free to Lewis. Yes. He's getting <laughs> quite a healthy lead here. So how much I'm in trouble. <laughs> how much did we eventually sell Park for? Was it £2 million, potentially going up to £5 million, Or was it £5 million, potentially going up to £7 million, Or was it a free transfer? I think it was a free transfer. Wrong. It was oh. million, potentially going up to five million in add-ons. So you got three there. Uh, Simon, are you ready for this? No. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Cristiano Ronaldo's biggest fan. Let's see how you deal with these questions. <laughs> Ronaldo will be listening. I'm actually <laughs> nervous. <laughs> I'm going to get zero out of five. I can feel it. <laughs> Okay, so for the first win in divisions, Ronaldo was born in which Portuguese region of Portugal? Um, Madeira. It's Madeira, that is correct. One to Simon, three one. Famous bro, for only Ronaldo and Cake. <laughs> <laughs> what number did Ronaldo request? Prize be being given the famous number seven shirt. At United. Yep. Uh, nine. Number twenty-eight. Wrong. It's three one. He wore number twenty-eight. He requested number twenty-eight. Was there any background stories to that, to that Lewis? It's a number he wore at Wisdom. Right. Oh, yeah, he requested, requested 28, but uh, Fergie bestowed upon him the seven. I think he was just trying to get a Bex, to be honest. But... 
Okay, next question. Remember, it's still 3-1. Simon's quaking in his boots here. What was the transfer fee that was paid to Sporting Lisbon by Manchester United? Uh, I don't know it exactly, but 12 million. 12.24 million. Are you going to give him that, Lewis? We'll, we'll give it him. We'll give it him. Okay, 3 2. Found it up. <laughs> it's heating up. Ronaldo scored his first goal in a 3 0 win against which club? Sorry, let me rephrase that question. Ronaldo scored his first goal for Manchester United in a 3 0 win against which club? Annoyingly, I know the goal. It was a free kick. But I can't think who. I'm going to guess Fulham. Portsmouth. Portsmouth. It was a free kick, though, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a free kick. I think you should get half a point for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. So it's still 3-2. Can he capture the draw or will he be going out at the first hurdle with his favourite player of all time? <laughs> I don't think you... We know where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think you are, uh, Ronaldo fan. As of today's date, how many Portugal goals does Ronaldo have? I've got to get that to an exact number. Yeah. We'll, we'll give him a window of two. Two either way. Well, I know. I, I feel like he reached 100 recently. So I'm going to go 100. And, I'm going to go 100. Oh. In the window, it's 102. No. So I get that, don't I? <laughs> Do you accept Do I get that? <laughs> That's a window of two. Is it? <laughs> I remember. I remember he scored a hundred recently. Oh, so Cristiano Ronaldo is still in the game, right? Okay. <laughs> okay, so that only leaves us with the option of doing a tiebreaker question. So, are you both ready, boys? Shout out your name when you know the answer. How many trophies did Sir Alex Ferguson win? Simon. Well, twenty-seven. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Are we doing the nearest then? 29. Whoever gets it first. Wrong. 23. Wrong. 25. Wrong. 31. <laughs> Wrong. 33. Wrong. You guys are little faith. 48. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a bit more the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong. 30, 38. And Lewis is the winner! Yes! <laughs> Cristiano Ronaldo is out on the first week. Simon, you sit out next week. My choice for next week will be Rude Van Nistelrooy. Get yourself oh. at the ready. I'll be coming up with questions for Part G-Sung. So, looking ahead to the coming fixtures... Uh, we've got Man City, Sheffield United, Leeds United, Everton in the League Cup, Leicester and Wolves. And then that takes us up to the new year. So what are we thinking, boys? This is a really tough run. It's we've a tricky got, run, isn't it? Yeah, we've got Leicester, Wolves, City in like one one period. It's With the game so close together as well, it's going to be difficult. And I think one of the biggest um, games within that is probably Leeds United as well in a couple of um, times. So, you know, that could be a massive sticking point. And I think if the fans were in the stadium, this would be a really, really contentious time for all the associates if it wasn't already. Because if we go away now and we lose to Man City and Leeds United in that period, I don't think there's a great deal of chance of him lasting very long. Well, I tell you what, at the beginning of the season, um, I actually said that I could see United losing both home and away to Leeds, and I almost put a bet on it. Um, you could just, you can just see. I, I'm sure the last time we played Leeds a few years back in the cup, we lost. Yeah, it's one nil. This was it one nil. Yeah. I, I just had this feeling that, but also as well, we play City and Liverpool, uh, City and Leeds. We play them at home, and. The way this season's gone at the moment, it's our home um, home fixtures are the ones where we're dropping points, aren't we? So I've actually gone with a city loss. I think I think the way 
They won last night again in the Champions League, didn't they? He was able to rest a few players as well. So I think we'll probably... Because in the past, we've won these types of games, haven't we? Where we know when it's really mattered. But we're not doing that recently because when it really mattered in the Champions League, we lost both games. And so even though we did beat PSG and, and Leipzig, you know, actually the big games where we lost three, three semi-finals last season... And each of those games in the Champions League recently, you could call them finals because we need that. We need, just needed a point, didn't we, to get through to? So you can treat them like cup finals. And I think we're we're actually failing in those games at the moment. So um, I've gone two losses, three wins, and a draw. I I think we might get a result against City. Um, it seems to be when always backs against the wall is when he pulls out the result out of his backside. Um, City aren't playing well at the moment. They struggle for goal, which is very unlike City. Um, they couldn't get a result against Tottenham, which they expected them to win. Um, I think I think it's a perfect time to be playing them, to be honest. Uh, especially since United are coming off a loss. We'll be up for that. I think I think we might get might get a draw, potentially a win if if everyone plays up to the standards they're capable of. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same. I, I do think, actually, trying to put a positive note on it, and I do think the players that we've got um, will pull us through quite a lot of this period. I, I do. I generally predict that United uh, <laughs> will do poorly at the moment, and that's uh, quite quite a bit of bias against uh, Oregon and Solskjaer, I suppose. But looking at it again, like you say, we do seem to do quite well in uh, the games where our back's up against the walls and Oligon Zolciar looks like he's uh, potentially going to leave. Um, but um, I'd say of the six games that we've got before New Year, I could see us winning four of them. I don't see any draws in there because we don't see to do draws. We either win or we lose. And I, I can see potentially a loss at City, which I think he'll get by on because... City of City, and I can see him winning every game then up until Wolves just before New Year. I reckon Wolves will probably spank us. We haven't been great over the uh, Christmas period lately, have we? No. The past few years, we've had a few losses in there. I remember on Boxing Day a couple of times we've, um, we've lost against teams we should beat. Um, and our squad's not the... It's not the deepest squad, even though we have got a lot of players, it's the quality of the players that come in to replace the players that should be playing that let us down. Like we'll have the likes of Dan James, Matter, um, potentially Lingard if he comes out of hiding, um, to come in and they're not the kind of players you want over the Christmas period to get result get his results against the likes of Wolves, Leeds, even Sheffield who who can give you a game on on the day. So I think. I, I think if we stay away from injuries, this is where having Pogba, Van der Beek and Bruno, this comes into its own because having those creative players in the middle of the park, like like you say, like Pogba doesn't seem to be able to run the show on his own. He needs somebody else who's quite creative in there. Um, and obviously he'll be off at some point in the near future. But while we've got him, I think having Pogba... Van der Beek and Bruno rotating in, in that squad over the next few weeks. I think it'll see us through a few games and hopefully we do come out and we're, we're looking healthy, especially in the league. Uh, not too fussed about the League Cup if we go out there. I think it would be a massive um, issue for Solskjaer. Uh, but personally, I think if we throw our, all our eggs into the league basket, then it could be looking good for his next season and especially at this time of year. So, we just on that League Cup game, we've got City, Sheffield United and Leeds before that and then Leicester and Wolves after that. What team are you putting out in that Everton League Cup game? I'm looking second string. Yeah, I, would, I would not chance it, particularly because of how busy it is in, in the league that's, uh, at that part of the season. Um, I'd, I'd be more inclined to play a second string team if so, if, so if that League Cup game was a Europa League game, would you say the same? Yeah. I'd then, we might as well, then we might as well be out. We yeah. might as well not be in the Europa League then, mightn't we? I, 
I, I don't think there's a better chance than this season, considering we've not got fans in the stadium, to say, right, OK, we'll come out and openly say, this is what we're focusing on. But I imagine if, obviously, if, if, if they did vocalise that, that puts extra pressure on them doing the league. But I'd be sat in the boardroom and saying, if I was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, let's focus on the league. And then I think he gets away with everything else then, as long as the league is looking good, which it is at the minute. You're hoping your young players can get by against Everton, who will probably put out their second stringers as well. Because they, I mean, they're not, they're not going for the title anymore, but they're, they're looking at top six, maybe, get back in the mix of the, uh, the top six. So you hope the youngsters probably get by in that game. But I, I'd be more worried about the Leeds, as you said, the Leeds game. Because that's a, that's a big game. It's the first league game we played since, since he got relegated in 2002. And so it's it's going to be massive, even though it's not fans in the stadiums. It's just it's going, it's going to be a very very um, high tempo game, and I think the way Leeds are playing, that you can upset anyone on the day. I think that might be the one that seals always fate if um, if you don't get a result in that one. Yeah. All right, then, boys. Should we leave it there then and see how we get on in the next few weeks, and then come back and reconvene and. Thank you to our listeners in America and Uruguay for sticking with us. Hope you enjoy this uh, new episode of the Bad Man United podcast. Thanks for listening to the Bad Man United podcast. Please subscribe if you like what you're hearing and we'll be back with another one soon. If you'd like to leave a rating, it will help people to find us. See you now.